ladies and gentlemen, peace and blessings all around the world. You are tuned in to the one and only A Difference in Thought. I'm your host, Charlie Ray, and here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages and processes recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Thank you for joining us again, and again, this podcast is in honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., And if you've been listening and tuned in with us, you know here that our philosophy is that basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. The life of the revolutionary is not just additions, it is also subtractions, and it's through embracing those subtractions that we indeed make a difference. So, today we have got uh, a fun task ahead of us. I wouldn't say fun because it's, you know, everything that occurred and it is not fun, but we're going to be talking about the divisive origins of whiteness. So this is episode number three. We're talking about the divisive origins of whiteness and examining the racial caste system. So some of you might not be knowing what I'm talking about when I talk about a caste system. And so uh, we can examine, uh, for example, classism is a type of caste system where the rich have a certain way of life and the poor people pretty much have no say and they're pretty much at the will of whatever rich people do. (laughs) And so uh, we're going to be examining the caste system that is actually set up in America. Some of you may know what it is. It's a clue in the title, right? So we're talking about the divisive origins of whiteness. Now, why the term divisive? Well, when you get into the history of this thing, you are going to see that the intent of whiteness and the definition of it and at the introduction of it to not just society but the actual laws on the books of uh, Virginia at the time the intent was actually to divide people that had come together now no uh, anyone who has normally taken up the cause of really examining uh, the reality of of America's history with with, uh, race uh, the invented social construct of race. We are all one race, uh, different ethnicities, different cultures, sure, but we are all one race. But anyone who seeks to bring people from that fantasy to reality, uh, you normally are hit with what? Oh man, why you gotta be so divisive? Why are you stirring up all this racial tension, right? That's something that we get hit with a lot if you've been about this life. So today... Uh, we are turning uh, the mirror on the concept of whiteness and saying, you know, if you really are about unity, is the concept of whiteness something you should uh, subscribe to, uh, perpetuate with its use? Uh, have we ever even considered why people are split between white and black? Dr. King brings this up in a speech. Uh, it is a speech where he kind of <clears throat> came to a revelation after things soured with him coming out against the Vietnam War, where he says, have you ever noticed that even in the dictionary that everything that is ascribed to the word white is something glorious, pure, and clean, but something that is uh, described, uh, used as a description for black is something dirty or dingy or negative, such as someone being, you know, uh, 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 hearts being darkened, right? Or, you know, even if you look at, you know, a, a black ring around a white bathtub, right? Uh, or or the stars, uh, the white star is shining at the expense of the backdrop of the black night sky. And so, He begins to say that we as a people, uh, as African-American people, we have to write our own Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, It's something that uh, Lincoln cannot sign or some Johnsonian uh, declaration or law cannot change where we must uh, unsubscribe from the caste system of black and white and ascribe beauty and worth to ourselves. And so we're going to be talking about not just the history and the origins of whiteness, but also the problems that come with subscribing to uh, the concept of whiteness. And so we've got 
a lot to unpack, so I, I can't promise that this will be a half an hour episode, but I can promise it's going to be a good one. <laughs> so, let's start with the divisive origins of whiteness. So, let's talk about the power structure that was in place prior to the racialized caste system. So, really, the original caste system that appeared in the Americas was pretty much... Um, uh, uh, classism. So people that owned things and people that didn't. If you didn't have money, if you weren't rich, if you weren't born into a rich family, if you didn't own land, you pretty much had no say. And so when we're looking at when we're into uh, the 1600s of Virginia here, uh, there were within this caste system, these were uh, the people according to the laws and the books at the time. Right? You had the great men, literally referred to as the great men. Um, they were landowners. They were they were rich, and as far as rights in the legal system, only they could vote. So you know they were here running things. Everyone else had to kind of submit to to them. And then there were um, bond servants, right, um, or freedmen who were pro- former bond servants. So really, the labor was. A, 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 I think the the, the Dutch were pretty much supplying uh, the slaves until about 1660, where Parliament then said that Dutch ships couldn't bring slaves to the colonies, not because they cared about people, but because England wanted to start their own. And, you know, why pay the Dutch when we can do it ourselves, right? And so you had the the Dutch that were bringing in in slaves, but most of the workforce at the time uh, were Native Americans and were Actually, the uh, felons um, and people who had great debts from England, they would send over these felons and these troublesome people and people who had a lot of debt. And they would come here and work off their freedom uh, for the great men. Now, some were able to eventually work off their debt and become free, but, you know, they didn't really have any real political power as in they couldn't, you know, they couldn't vote. They couldn't have any say of how things happen, you know, you, you pay your debt and then, you know, you can, you know, take care of the stuff that we own, right? Maybe some form of sharecropping. And then of course there were Native Americans and those that weren't killed, um, some were domesticated and, and, you know, you know, given religion, you know, and saying, oh, become a Christian and then, you know, we, we won't massacre you, right? And, um, it's also important to, to note that, um, Christian, um, and uh, in 1667, this came to place that the definition of a slave, uh, uh, the baptism of a slave or Native American didn't ex- exempt them from slavery. Uh, Christian was literally defined as a term of ethnic origin, not religious. And so you have this classist uh, system, uh, um, you know, where so a Christian freed. You get a, a freedman could become a Christian, a Native American could become a Christian, even a, a slave could become a Christian in a religious sense. But it did not change their class in the society as far as they they could uh, not they would not be freed. And so you have all of these these classes, and so the job of the great men was pretty much to create animosity in between uh, the different groups. And so Native Americans could if they were Christian, in heavy quotes, Native Americans, they could um, at some point uh, perhaps gain freedom. Bond servants could uh, gain freedom if they worked off their debt. But slaves were were at the bottom of that. It was pretty much a permanent a permanent setting. If when we're talking about the uh, monetary classist system, and so. Uh, Eventually, the freedmen uh, would will we'll find out that hey, you know, why don't we have any say? You know, uh, 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 with what the great men, uh, you know, have the right to vote, and they can kind of do these things. And so, um, they, uh, but most of the times, they were creating animosity in between uh, Native American tribes. Right? They called them Indian back then, but. We're not going to call them that because they are native to America. We'll get into that later as far as who gets to keep the hyphen 
uh, and to become a subset of American versus who just gets to be American. Right. And so we have, uh, so now we're going to examine uh, Nathaniel Bacon. There's a guy named Nathaniel Bacon. Uh, he uh, was over a lot of uh, bond servants and he pretty much would create animosity between Native Americans, Christian Native Americans versus uh, non-Christian Native Americans. And so he actually enlisted a bunch of he enlisted a bunch of Christian Native Americans to attack some uh, non-Christian Native Americans, and uh, then he actually didn't keep his word, and then actually um, actually ended up attacking the Native Americans that agreed to help them attack their own people. And so he eventually was occupying this land where there were lots of bond servants who pretty much said, "Like, hey man, why uh, we're out here? The one we're the ones out here doing all the work." Uh, instead of turning these Native Americans uh, against each other, how about we actually turn our energy towards the great men who seem to be profiting off of our poverty? And, you know, again, they started to examine, uh, and we got to change how we participate with this power structure. I think we should be on top. And so then they, they gather uh, some, some Native Americans together uh, instead of just turning them against each other. Uh, they had some slaves who were who were who were down to fight because they didn't have any say in the system at all. And so, instead of you know operating in this caste system, they decided they're going to unite and they're going to try and overturn this caste system. And so, uh, on September nineteenth, sixteen seventy six, Bacon gets these group of people uh, united under the reality that um, hey, <laughs> this society is only great for the great men. Uh, and so they uh, actually they actually burned down Jamestown, and so uh, Bacon actually ends up uh, dying uh, in the midst of this revolution. And so under when he kind of is gone, uh, the great men kind of defeat them, uh, not exactly through war, but pretty much through broken promises. You know, saying, "Hey, if you if you help us out here, we'll do this." And so these people, you know, kind of stop fighting, but the promises never came. And what happens then? You get a series of laws that changes the caste system from kind of a monetary um, and kind of what your role is in society to actually a racialized caste system. And that is the caste system that uh, was originated in the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705. And so what it did is it, um, it improved conditions for uh, Christian white freedmen uh, or Christian white bond servants. Uh, and here's where the term white is first introduced into the society and actually into the legal uh, into the legal system. And so um, and there are some laws that preceded this as well. Uh, so you, you start to see um, in 1676, that same that same year, they they changed the law so that uh, native any Native Americans that are captured in war can be slaves for life. Because before, you know, they could eventually be free if um, uh, if they became Christians, right? But then now it's like it doesn't matter if you raise your hand against a, a, a white person, <laughs> then you can be a slave for life. So then, obviously, that incentive is. Well, if Native Americans start working with with slaves, they could end up with the same conditions that slaves get. Um, and bond servants, you know, uh, anyone who uh, helped a slave escape, it, it would add time to their sentence. Um, and so, uh, in 1705, the House of Burgesses uh, e, uh, enacted a racially based slave code. So there were two categories: one, Christian white servants. Right. So if you had if you had white skin and you were a Christian and you became a Christian, uh, there was hope for freedom for you and maybe even a chance to 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 join the great men. And then the second class were pretty much slaves. And so that was Negro, mulatto, Indian, Jew, Moor or any other infidel. Right. <laughs> so uh, so so here's 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 funny. And here's the here's the irony of this. And we'll get also into the danger of Jesus becoming white. Is because by the we know that Jesus was was a Jewish man. Uh, by the seventeen oh five slave codes, Jesus 
the person who came would have been considered a uh, a slave, but uh, Christian white servants would not be. But the Christ and Christian would have been a slave under these slave coats. And so I'll get into later the danger of making Jesus white and, and how that plays into uh, the racial caste system as well. And so we see as a as a as a direct after uh true unity and people saying, hey, you know, let's let's not divide uh, ourselves, but let's unite for a greater, more just society. The answer to that, the legal answer to that and the societies and the people in power's answer to that was inventing the concept of whiteness. And so, again, I'll say also that I I'm not talking about I don't have problems with white people. Uh, there are some way I do wish that they would become more aware and change how they participate with the power structure, but we're talking about the problems with the concept of whiteness. So when someone says, oh stop being so divisive, if you ascribe to yourself as white, you are describing yourself under a philosophy and a legal concept that was initially created to divide. And so we 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 see that it it, it is again uh profiting at the expense of other people in hopes that it would create animosity between uh, the different classes. And and this was, uh, and here you see that whiteness versus non-white, being non-white was kind of this lifelong stigma that was placed on you. There was no way out of that, um, out of that statement. And so we see the problem with whiteness and the divisiveness of whiteness is that whiteness defines people by what they are not instead of defining them by what they are. I was with a group of friends and um, someone had kind of asked and said, well, what what do you believe your ethnicity or your heritage or your culture has contributed to society? And I had a white brother who kind of was saying, oh, well, you know, um, kind of having trouble uh, kind of seeing what, you know, I guess the, the, the group of whiteness has kind of contributed to society. And and uh, I kind of told him, I said, yeah, the problem with whiteness is that it defines a person by what they are not instead of who they are. So instead of an Italian-American saying, here's here's what my people group contributed to society or an Irish-American or a, a Grecian-American uh, or a German American saying, "Hey, this is what my people group kind of contributes to society." It's just kind of, well, we just are all lumped together as, you know, assuming having the same experience and having the same status as American. And but the greatest thing that white people are told is in this casteism is that you're not black, <laughs> right? Uh, and and Dr. King talks about this, and he and he and he talks about how um, poor white Americans instead of being given a chance in America, they were given the Negro to, to look down upon and say, well, no matter how bad my life is, thank God I'm not African-American, right? Thank God I'm not black. Uh, I'm sure they didn't use those nice terms, but and even even Lyndon B. Johnson kind of talks about this and he, and, and he says, you know, if you give a poor person somebody to look down on, you can pick their pockets because, you know, they're pretty much getting rich off of, they, they are feeling enriched off of the thought of at least I'm not this, right? So, but the problem with uh, the problem with identifying yourself by what you're not is that you kind of lack identity, right? This is a problem, and you know, uh, this is a problem that you see in politics all the time. And this is this is a problem a lot that plagues the Democratic Party a lot. Uh, and again, I'm independent, so I'm not like vouching and telling you who to. Who to, who to vote for, I'm, I'm based more so on principles. But you remember, um, I believe it was John Kerry running a, uh, against George Bush, right? And so he's, his whole thing was, well, I'm not Bush. Bush is bad. Bush did this. Bush got us into this war. Bush did X, Y, Z. But the voters were kind of like, okay, I know what you're not, but who are you, though? What does John Kerry bring to the table? What does John Kerry want to do? What does John Kerry want to accomplish? What does John Kerry celebrate, right? Uh and um, even Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, never Trump, uh, resist, you know, oh, okay, I know what I'm resisting, but what am I supporting? <laughs> uh, 
right? Uh, uh, and that was the difference between Barack Obama. You know, he, you know, yes, he could also say uh, not McCain and not Romney, but he's also talking about hope and a and a chance for a a a a different American actually painting the picture. So it's different where you lump people into what you uh, support and what you are versus what you are not. And so that's the problem with whiteness for white people is that they 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 don't focus as much on their heritage. And I'm not talking about Southern heritage and, you know, like <laughs> Southern gentlemen and, you know, all the things that can come with that. It's more so that I'm defined by what I'm not. And the problem with that is that non-white people are also defined by what they're not. Where, where the greatest achievement for the white person under the white caste system is that your greatest achievement is that you're not black. Um, you're, uh, for the non-white and for the for the for the black person, it, it's uh, your your greatest detriment is that you're not white. And so uh, let's t- let's get into effects of the racial caste system, right? Um, so number one, the racial caste system in America establishes white as the default, right? It's almost like white is the name brand race, and everything else is like that. You know what I mean? Like. Um, it, it's like, you know, like off, off brand, like products, like white is Sprite and black is Spritz, <laughs> right? Like, uh, white would be Fruit Loops and non-white is like Fruitios or, you know, like instead of Dr. Pepper, you have, uh, salt PhD or I don't know, like <laughs> whatever, like fake thing that you want. It establishes white as the default, meaning that we are white. The whiteness is the standard in America. And if you want to become American, then you must assimilate, right? We, we talk about um, whiteness. We always say America is the great melting pot, but really the culture of America is that it is, it is, it is a stew of whiteness where everything non-white gets burnt off in the fire, right? Other races have to uh, assimilate. You even get this in, I, I, I used to say this jokingly, but there's some truth in it. Like even who gets the hyphen in American, right? White people say I'm American. What about the black person? Oh, they're African-American. What, what about the Asian person? They're Asian American. Well, why, why, are, why aren't you European American? We're American. Uh, well, why American? Cause we were here before you guys. Well, what about, what about Native Americans, why can't they just be American? No, they're Native American. Uh, well, you know what? Scratch that. They're Indian. <laughs> We're American. They're Indian. You're African American. You're. It's like, man, are you gonna, are you gonna, <laughs> are you gonna catch this hyphen or not? Right. And so it's it's a way of establishing white as the default, and also in in intrinsic and built into this the the language that we use in caste system. Is, is kind of this thought that these two things cannot be combined, right? Black and white. It's, it's meant to be things separate, things that can't be joined together, right? It's almost like you call one person oil and you want to call one person water and say, oh, they cannot, they cannot mix. Because within this, the legislation of the whiteness was also where it was prohibited for um, uh, African Americans and, and white people to uh, marry or to... Um, uh, and, and the, the birth of the child was based on the ethnicity of the mother. So they were even enslaving their own children and saying, even if you have, uh, if an Englishman uh, has, um, you know, has ch- has a child by a slave, then because the mother's a slave, then that child is also a slave. So it's even to the point that they were, you know, enslaving their children. But, you know, it's like white become the standard and other races must uh, assimilate. Uh, and so you see this as white as default, almost in corporate America, as far as who, you know, don't, hey, man, if you're trying to get this job, you've got to cut those dreadlocks because, you know, the white people don't like to see dreadlocks like that. Or or, or when you, you see the documentary Good Hair by Chris Rock, where it talks about uh, girls taught to straighten their hair and that the way that your hair grows naturally is not appropriate for the culture that it's in. If you want to succeed, you have to look a certain way or dress a certain way or don't have ghetto names or don't be too hood or, you know, uh, all of these things that, that uphold whiteness as the default. And so then we get into whiteness as the default within the American uh, Christendom, right? Uh, and 
what happens when Jesus becomes white? Uh, what happens when you turn Jesus, you switch Jesus from the discriminated to the discriminator, right? Uh, and so everybody says, well, it doesn't matter what Jesus does, right? And I love Kirk Franklin, and I know, like, doesn't matter what color you are as long as your blood was red. But nah, fam, your skin does matter. <laughs> Who Jesus chose to be represented as when he came to earth at the time, Jesus came to be represented as the least of these. He didn't come when, when Israel was in power. He came when Israel was at the bottom, right? And so here you see if, and so a lot of times people say, it doesn't matter what Jesus' race is. And so I heard um, this question posed by, uh, I think the brother's name was Adon Beam. I, he's, he's on a podcast that I listen to. But he says, if Jesus' race doesn't matter, why was it changed? I'm going to ask that again, reflect on it. If Jesus's race doesn't matter, why was it changed? Meaning that, oh, it doesn't matter. His blood was red. Well, why couldn't Jesus remain a Jew in the American uh, context? Well, by the slave codes of 17, uh, 1706, uh, or was it 1705? One of those dates. Uh, Jesus would have come in as a slave in America. So that means uh, when you are enlisting, when you uh, create a law that says, under any, any circumstance, you can you can you can kill an African American without penalty, right? Um, you are doing this to Jesus, right? You are you're you are by a nation taking the stance that it's okay to kill <laughs> people like Jesus. But when you make Jesus white, then you are you are killing this other person in order to somehow preserve the purity of who Jesus is, right? And so when you go get into the fast forward into Jim Crow laws, if Jesus is white, then you are kicking Jesus out of your church. You know, if Jesus is, isn't white, then you are kicking Jesus out of your church. You are lynching Jesus. You are putting Jesus in a subpar school. You are getting out of the neighborhood because you don't like it when Jesus comes into the neighborhood and you're scared that Jesus is going to take down the real estate value of your, of your property. And so that's how revolutionary... Um, gospel music is. Uh, I really, uh, once I got this practice, I started to listen to uh, Mahalia Jackson. And um, Mahalia Jackson was also uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's, one of his favorite singers who would call to sing him a song and all this thing. Because when you look at her music, when you when they say things like Jesus walks with me, you have to understand that uh, in, the, in, the, in the society where um, people use Jesus as an excuse to um, discriminate against people, it was power to say that, no, Jesus walks with me, not you, right? When he, when she sings a song, Move Up a Little Higher, when she says, uh, um, I'm going to drink from the Christian fountain. Now, remember, in Jim, in, under Jim Crow, there were water fountains, there were colored fountains, there were white, sorry, water fountains for whites only, and there were water fountains for Cutlers only. So when she says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to drink from the Christian fountain. She is, she is reclaiming her faith from white supremacy and saying the true Christian fountain is not G white Jesus drinking from the whites only. The true Christian fountain is where all God's children can, uh, all God's children can drink from the same fountain, right? And then she talks up and, and she talks about moving up and, 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 um, uh, sitting with Paul and Silas and drink, sitting with these gospel legends who have been white, whitewashed and saying, no, no, I'm not going to be segregated from them. I'm going to be joined with them under true Christian fellowship. And it, it, it is a direct retaliation against the uh, racial caste system of America seeping into Christendom. And so, like, if you haven't heard, like, if you've never appreciated, like, gospel music before then, like, Go back and look at listen to the era of that time and see how it is really deconstructing the racial caste system of America. Uh, it's it's really impressive. And so, white as the default, right? Is that when we look at our society, when we look at the power structures that we're in, whether that's our churches, whether that's our jobs, uh, one one way to measure that is. Uh, one of the effects of the racial caste system, number two, is that moving towards white culture is rewarded, but movement toward free and full expression of non-white culture is either punished or just celebrated less, right? Um, you know, I, I, I had a friend who's, who said, um, 
her his boss uh had an interview with someone and that you know he he she didn't ultimately get the job because his boss said that you know she, she just spoke a little too urban <laughs> right not that she wasn't fit to do the job or that she couldn't you know may uh contribute to the progress of the team but that you know her dictation wasn't white enough right that is white supremacy and so sometimes white supremacy is guised under I'm not a racist. I just prefer. So sometimes it's not, you know, white supremacy 2.0. It's just white preference, right? Oh, this person is so articulate, or I like how this person, how this person talks, or how this person, how this person dresses. Uh, 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 you know, uh, again, like oh, don't wear dreads, or and, and then here's the danger also of being colorblind because in, under af, under the American racial caste system. Uh, white is the default. So the problem of being colorblind because is because in the absence of color being fully acknowledged, the default is just white culture. So when you say, uh, let's just be colorblind, it means let's just go back to, let's just keep it on default. But what's default in the, in the racial caste system of America? Whiteness. So people don't get to be, you know, don't get to fully express their ideas. And again, you can see um, someone can, is not allowed to fully express themselves when white fragility comes. Or you can express this under my terms. You can express this until uh, the default culture uh, feels uncomfortable. And then, nope, that's the end, end of your little uh, black <laughs> break from the norm and we're back to whiteness until we feel comfortable going that far again. So, and moving toward white culture is rewarded, but movement to free and full expression is of, of non-white culture is is punished or, or celebrated less, right? Like diversity shouldn't be a special event. It shouldn't be, hey guys, we're going to allow you to fully express yourself for a day. So under your normal uh, cultural garb, wear it for one day. It's diversity day. Uh, let's wear it for one day. But then after that, we're not going to encourage you to do that because we're going going back to the default. So keep those khakis and, and slacks and, you know, ties and tucked in shirts or, or whatever, right? <laughs> Keep that as a norm, but we can have a little break from the default and do this, but but is that something that's sustained day to day or if someone comes up with a full cultural guard are people going to say, oh, uh, what event's going on today? Or are they going to say, oh man, that's awesome. I'm glad that you have the freedom to be your full self into the atmosphere. So moving toward white culture is rewarded, um, but movement to free and full expression is punished or celebrated less. And you can see that that's always the thing about, you know, whether it's the Oscars or whether it's the Grammys or um, normally when people have these have these moments where where they're reflecting the times outside of the white narrative or the default culture's narrative, they don't get the awards. Right. When Get Out comes out and says, hey, um, just because you're liberal doesn't mean you can't be racist. <coughs> um, that gets labeled as a comedy, <laughs> right? Um, by, I don't know who was that was, Golden Gloves, I don't know who it was. But, you know, maybe the one picture of the year, I don't know. But typically, they're celebrated less, right? When Kendrick Lamar um, comes out with To Pimp a Butterfly... And it, and it talks about uh, true black experience in America. Um, it loses to Taylor Swift <laughs> when Beyonce talks about, um, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sing crazy in love and single ladies. I want to talk about what it feels like as an African American woman in society or as a woman in society when a man just decides to to cheat on me. Uh, you get um, nope. We'll go with Adele because I like sadness, but I don't like anger. <laughs> All right. So it's it's it's, it's that, again movement toward white culture is rewarded, but as long it's it's this expression of that you are moving towards whiteness at the expense of leaving behind another culture, and so that's what the whole colorblind is. You can be in the room and there won't be any problems, but don't bring all your culture with you, right? Uh, you know, and a lot of times we we do this as well. And I had to um, <laughs> what well, it wasn't, but one thing that I try to do is when people from another nation. Um, uh, have a name that might not sound as American, and we say, "Well, we're just gonna call you this." I shut that down. <laughs> I said, "No, we're not gonna do that. 
we're going to accept all of their culture. And if it means we got to try their names a couple of times, like, okay, it's cool. But if, if, it's, if, if they're saying, Hey, you know what? Y'all really suck at this. And <laughs> I'm frustrated. You can call me a different name, but there are ways that we try to, you know, it's, we're just basically talking about a culture of assimilation. You know, are we talking about a culture of appreciation where you can come as everything that you are and your customs and your music in, in, and how you speak and uh, you can bring your entire worldview or are we just talking about assimilation where it's like, hey, I want your I want your non-white skin so that I can tell other people I'm not racist, but I don't want your non-white experience. That's assimilation. I want your skin, but I don't want your experience. Uh, and so that's 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 one of the effects of the racial caste system. Right. So here we have one also where white. Uh, so when we talk about crime uh, and and success, right, or negative aspects and positive aspects. So when we're talking about. Uh, so let's just say like white crime is assigned to the individual. Right. But white uh, success is 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 ascribed to the group. So, again, white crime is assigned to the individual. Like, oh, this is an exception. Right. Uh, white success is is. is Assigned to the group, as in, well, that's what white people do. We succeed. We, we accept. But black crime is assigned to the entire people. Not like, oh, this isn't an exception. Everybody's everybody's like this, like, or, or like like Hillary Clinton. Oh, they're super predators. Watch out, right? <laughs> and then you want come. Then you want my vote in, in twenty uh, whatever. Uh, no, no, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> and, or but black success is cre- seen as an exception. Oh well, they're articulate. They're articulate, but oh, I'm I'm glad you're not like those other blacks or you're different than everybody else. Right. We've all heard those types of things. Right. And, and it's this thing of the stigma affects the expectation. Right. If a white person does a crime, you know, like like who was that? Who was that guy? Brock Brock Turner. Was that his name? This guy, this this white kid uh, rapes a girl um, is found guilty. And the judge says, well, I'd hate to ruin this guy's life. Um, we'll we'll give him what I think he got three months in prison or, or probation or something like that or pretty much the the judge has this stigma that white people have so much to offer society it would be a it would it would rob society of this person's uh, white contributions uh, even though he's seen that his true contributions to society have been negative see he can't see past the group and see the individual right. Uh, and so that that that's an that's an example of that. Uh, and but black crime is assigned to the entire group. See, I knew you see how how it is, and you know the stigma you see on the six o'clock news or or all of these different different stereotypes. And it and it's it's the thing about the caste system is that it's it's set in stone, right? So if white people are at the top of the caste system, there really isn't anything that brings them lower. Uh, but at, and if uh, non-white people are on the bottom of the racialized caste system, it's nothing that they do that really brings them higher, right? You can even you can even look at the Obamas, right? The the oh, you know we want to claim post-racial society, right? Well, we wanted to, but we all know that's not real. <laughs> uh, but even when he was there, people would say like, "Oh, he's not really American. He's he's Kenyan." Or let me see your birth certificate again, like through the entire conference. And even then with Michelle Obama people calling her a gorilla and all these other different things. It doesn't matter how high you ascend. Now here's, here's a black family that ascended to the highest heights of American society, that the highest held office in America, but still a stigma followed them. Here we have, uh, when you look at the history of, of, uh, white domestic terrorism, you can't find policies directed towards, towards actually deterring that. Uh, you see a Dylan Roof happen, no policy. Uh, you see uh, a Vegas shooting happen, no policy. Uh, you, 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 you look at the, the his. you see a Charlottesville happen, no policy. You, you, you see the history of domestic terrorism throughout America, whether it's the, the, the bombing of, of the church that killed, uh, that killed uh, those girls. Uh, way back and and during the civil rights era, no policy enacted. You see the the violence uh, to to dethrone uh, black political power during Reconstruction after the Civil War. No policy happens, but you see, but 
when you see something like Bacon's Rebellion, oh, you see you see a lot of you see a lot of policy to to counteract that. You you have a president who will proudly go on television and say radical Islamic terrorism, but will but will struggle or have to be called and dragged to call out white domestic terrorism. Yet he'll have a travel ban, but what what is the policy to match white domestic terrorism? And so um, here's another part of the effects of the racial caste system, and you see this a lot in the legal system. White people get empathy, non-white people get policies, right? Uh, so when black people go through the drug crisis with, uh, uh, under, under Nixon, you get the war on drugs, but now it's an opioid crisis, right? Now, when I, you know, growing up in Baltimore, when you see people stoned out of their mind, uh, on the subways every night, a different face, uh, and you know, it's it's the war on drugs, but no one is calling up to them and saying, "Oh my gosh, there's an opioid crisis. You have access to hospitals." And it wasn't a health crisis; it was a character crisis, right? It wasn't a def- it wasn't a deficit in their health; it was a deficit in their character attached to the stigma that America has placed on them due to the racial caste system. And so that's why I say I say jokingly, but it's also true. The best thing that happened to drug reform in America was Lindsay Lohan. Because before that cute little girl from the lin- from the parent trap got stoned, nobody cared. It was a criminal issue, but then it became empathy. And I'm not saying that I'm mad at the empathy. I'm just I'm just saying that that is the correct approach. But that approach should have also been applied to people at the bottom of the racial caste system. And so that is um, that that's kind of what we're talking about the effects of the racial caste system. And so it places an irreversible stigma on non-white people, but it also profits whites with an unjust benefit of the doubt. Right. And so um, it's just like why, uh, and I I think it it, it had, I think it wasn't until it had to go through negotiations that this wall that the president is asking for included the Northern border Right. Because it was just like, oh, man, we we want to we want a a wall for the southern border. What about Canada? (laughs) Like like drugs and crime doesn't come through through Canada. Right. So you you start to you start to see this uh, really happen uh, in 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 real life and and in in real time. And so what what are we to do? About this, and so again, we talk about true revolution is about um, is about uh, changing how we participate in the power structure. And so, when we see stigma, uh, how are we to react to it? When we see it within ourselves, like it's so funny that like um, people uh, people don't have concern about like white militias with guns because white militias are patriotic. But you know, the Black Panthers were terrorists, right? It's, it's like the it's like the example of those horrible police shootings that happened in, um, uh, I believe they happened in Texas. They were, they were, it was, it was around the same weekend as the Philando Castile shooting. Um, uh, what, what the press didn't say is that, um, before they actually got the actual person who was shooting guns, uh, there was actually an open carry rally that was happening around the same time. So we had, White people who were openly carrying, there were black people that were openly carrying. Um, and so when they said we have a suspect in, in, in custody, they had actually taken the black people from that open carry rally and detained them as the shooters. But they didn't detain the white open carrying people because, again, it is, it is this. And this was reflected in law, right? The Second Amendment initially only applied to white people it had to t- it had to be updated to 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 be about black people because again it's that criminalized presence right and so uh another effect of the racialized caste system is that presumed innocence for white people but criminalized presence for uh black people uh, and non-white people right and so what when I, in, in the in this context of the conversation I'm, when i when i say uh, black. I'm talking about non-white. I'm not just talking about African American because when you when you read about like in 1705 the Virginia Slave Codes, you read about the white uh, Christian servant versus slave. That w- that was pretty much everyone that is non-white because remember it defines people by what they are not instead of what they instead of what they are. And so when you see this presumed innocence versus this criminalized presence, you see this uh, in work in everyday stigma, right? Because again. 
And if you haven't read this book yet, I'm going to keep plugging it until you do. Say it with me. Democracy in Black, How Racism Still Enslaves the American Soul by Eddie Cloud Jr. He talks about how we sustain this presumed innocence versus this criminalized presence, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's when the, the woman sees the black guy walking down the street and, he switches, and she switches her, her purse to the other side. It is, it, is, it, is, it is buying into the stigma that uh, there's just a genetic character issue <laughs> with non-white people, right? But a presumed innocence for, for, for other people. And that can be internalized. That can be internalized and even within an African-American person where they could see a black person coming in and they, and they, lock, <laughs> they lock their doors. And so another sad thing about the racial casteism that can be internalized. And I was sharing this with a friend, and I think I tweeted it a, a long time ago, but I just want to share it with, 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 uh, with you all here. Self-hate is racism on autopilot. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Self-hate is racism on autopilot, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's where the person at the bottom of the caste system uh, takes on the identity ascribed to them by society. So if a black person is told your life isn't worth anything, uh, you're, you're inherently stupid or, 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 or they're placed in an education system that is almost laughable and just passing people through. When you look at the D.C. scandal that just happened where people were just passing people through a system, when they show that their minds do not matter, what happens when they stop valuing education? Well, are these things that, that and again, the, the book Eddie Gloud Jr. says that there's an education that happens with the systems of society that speaks louder than what people say verbally. There was a study, um, someone, I was talking to someone on the internet, and I don't think they had actually read the article, <laughs> because I, I was talking about how, you know, being colorblind isn't good, and how you really have to embrace it to really talk about it, and they said, well, have you read the article about this study? And so, it was a study where they were telling children, telling uh, parents to talk directly with race about your children, um, so, so that they can be more aware of their own bias. Uh, well, white parents said, well, you know what, I feel uncomfortable. I'm not really going to do that. So they started kind of making these generic statements um, uh, and saying, I don't want to ruin my child because they assumed that their voices were the only things educating their children about race. But it found out that it was in society that their parent, their kids were learning all these other things. And so there's this one test where uh, their teacher reads a book where Santa is black. And you see these little white kids, and even black kids, saying like, "Santa can't be black. Santa's white, right?" Uh, the assumption that this person who has all these resources to just give freely—that's <laughs> not a brother, right? <laughs> and so even, and so then there was this little white girl who says like, "Well, maybe Santa can be black if the white one is sick." There you have the. She has been educated by the racial caste system in America that. Uh, the black guy's only the default if there's no, if something's gone right with a white person, right? And so you see this uh, stigma being perpetuated all throughout our society. You even see this stigma being perpetuated. Uh, my spiritual grandfather, uh, Dr. Tony Evans, uh, he was preaching. Uh, my dad told me this story. He was preaching in the church because he started to see this stigma uh, of, of white preference um, happening in uh, his church or in the in the circles that he ran in, and he, he called it out one Sunday, and he said, "You know what? Uh, if some of our white brothers and sisters uh, um, had their daughters uh, come to them and say, I'm dating uh, a white non-Christian, and I'm dating, and I'm also thinking about dating a, a, a black Christian, some of you would prefer that she marry the white non-Christian." Right. Because it's, it's that it's that stigma that comes in. And and that's the whole that's a sad thing where um, black people can buy into that. Non-white people can buy into that as well. And that's what Dr. King was talking about in, in the speech that I talked about earlier, where he says there must be an emancipation proclamation that we must write for ourselves. No other person can write that for us where we have to say that pretty much what society has has described me as is false, and I'm not going to buy into that lie. 
I am going to buy into the truth of the gospel that says that I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made and there's nothing inherently wrong with me. I do not have to assimilate. I do not have to play down. I do not have to turn down what God has made me to be. I don't have to change my hair. I don't have to change my tone. I don't have to, you know, uh, uh, change the way that God has made me. There's nothing wrong with me, but there is something wrong with this society that is operating on a caste system that tries to put me at the bottom. But even if I'm at the bottom, the last shall be first, uh, and the first shall be last, and 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 so it's it's about it's 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 about we have to free ourselves from the pattern of this world. We have to decide I'm not going to be conformed to this thinking anymore. I need to be radically transformed. And so when we and then when we think about the problems with the racial caste system in America is that you have to look at the effects. You have to look at the damning effects that it has had on American society, as it, as it has had on non-white people's minds, bodies, history, heritage, and it is something that we cannot support anymore. Um, I was uh, online and I saw that there was uh, apparently Mel Gibson is is making a sequel to Passion of the Christ, and I just had to comment and say, "Yo, Jesus isn't white," and I'm not using my money to keep supporting a propping up of a white Jesus that that perpetuates the the lie that white is default and the closer to white is the closer to holy and the furthest from white is the furthest from holy. Just look at how we've historically uh, the church has demonized the other. There are probably some Baptist churches that just got drums last week. Because we don't want those African spirits coming through the drums, right? <laughs> and so it, it has to come to a point where it says, I'm not buying into this anymore due to the damning effects that have happened. Um, I'm going to read uh, a scripture from Micah 2. And, and I think it's very fitting when we're thinking about uh, the detrimental and destructive effects that the racial caste system of whiteness has done to people, to generations, has done to the world. Uh, And then I'll probably uh, close out, but uh, Micah chapter two, I'm just going to read it and I'm sure you guys will see why I am. Um, It says, woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And so when we were talking about uh, the Virginia Slave Codes and all these legislations that have been devising iniquity just because you have the power to do it. This is a rebuke from God, even though God is sometimes used to to justify this. Uh, verse two, they covet fields and take them by violence. How was America acquired? <laughs> right. Again, read the book, The Irony of American History by Reinhold Niebuhr. It talks about how America engaged in the Americas have 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 uh, engaged in covetousness, covetousness, uh, murder, and all those other things, and then they want to slap God bless America on it. And uh, so, continuing in, in verse two, uh, they covet the fields and take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance, and so. You think of the, the evils done to Native Americans who are also labeled under those slave codes and under that caste system and how coveting uh, people founding America, coveting what was not theirs and uh, oppressing uh, a Native American and their entire household and also their inheritance in the land. And even when you see today how our greed, we still, when you look at um, the Dakota Access Pipeline and a lot of the uh, Damages and threats to um, uh, uh, Native Americans uh, taking their land or poisoning their water, uh, messing up the inheritance of people to come. You you see a direct rebuke to that right here in Micah chapter 2. And so in verse 3, the Lord speaks, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time. So when we see about uh, this concept of whiteness and uh, exalting people 
over other people instead of uh, equality and not having respect of persons as God does. You see that God says, I am against this family. Uh, behold, against this, against this family, I'm devising disaster for which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time. So you see, it's, it's called evil by God. It's not just uh, uh, unfortunate or, or sad. It's evil. The racialized caste system of America is evil. Uh, verse 4, In that day one shall take up a proverb against you, and lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people, how he has removed it from me. To a turncoat he has divided our fields. Uh, and so you, you see God prophesying that the oppressed shall rise up against the oppressor with a proverb and with a bitter lamentation, saying, we are utterly destroyed. People at the bottom of the caste system saying, we are utterly destroyed because of your evil policies. Uh, and how your evil policies have changed the heritage of my people. Uh, how he has removed it from me. And when you think of specifically African Americans and how they were torn away from their heritage in Africa. And how children are even taught, a lot of African Americans are taught as as uh, their existence almost beginning exclusively in um, in America, right? Uh, not even able to know your heritage, and that was that was the whole reason why Malcolm X changed his name to X because it was that unknown. It was that heritage that was robbed from him, where he cannot look at you know his last name and see the true heritage of his people, but the person, but the name of the person that stripped that heritage from it. And how uh, instead of teaching them pride and dignity in their heritage, it teaches them only uh, 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 oppression and stigma. Uh, and when you think of, of how uh, the racial caste system has literally changed the heritage and, and projection of, of, of people, in, of African-Americans, in this country, and even when you look at, uh, you know, Japanese internment camps, when you look at uh, the heritage of Native American people, when you you now look at 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 the stigma of 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 dreamers and 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 our Latin American brothers and sisters, and how this everyone has has had a stigma placed on them in this racialized caste system that affects how uh, their their future heritage shall be. James Baldwin talks about the horrors of racism and perhaps one of the worst horrors is for the person who has to explain racism to their child and know they are powerless to protect them from the effects of the racial caste system. So they must prepare their child because the racial caste system of America has uh, been destructed and has changed the heritage uh, of, of, of people uh, to a turncoat. He has divided our fields and, 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 taking things from people and, and distributing it through an unjust power structure that causes people to profit because of the color of their skin. It is, it is an evil time per this, um, per this passage. And then verse five says, therefore you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. And so here you see, uh, uh, a prophecy of the kingdom of God, where the last shall be first and the first shall be last, and those who who stocked up uh, a treasure uh, in in heaven uh, shall be rebuked, and and uh, the true godly inheritance, where uh, Jesus talks about in 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 the beatitudes, that um, uh, the poor in spirit and 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 the broken and those who are spitefully used, that to them that belongs the kingdom of God, not to the oppressor and how you can oppress on earth and can, and, you know, uh, hear a false prophet saying that, Oh no, it's okay. Uh, God approves this. Uh, Jesus was white. Jesus was in your corner. But when it comes to the end of days and you see of Matthew 25, where Jesus is judging the nations by how you treated the least of the least of these, you tell right here in Micah two, five, that you will have, no uh 
no uh no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And and Jesus even warns about murderers and adulterers and 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 people who refuse to repent uh not having an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so we are we have to not say earth will look like earth and we'll worry about heaven when we get to heaven, but we have been commissioned with the ministry of reconciliation. And uh, as Ephesians uh, 2 talks about tearing down the dividing wall and the enmity. And so uh, in, in Ephesians 2, it talks about the process of where there were Jews and Gentiles separated. It talks about the process of uh, Jesus abolishing the law uh, that created enmity. Then he talks about uh, destroying the dividing wall that kept people from relating to each other. And then it talks about the work of the spirit fitting us together and, uh, uh, and, and, and letting us know that there is no, uh, default culture. There is no assimilation, but there is appreciation and there is cooperation and, 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 and valuing each other and knowing that we need each other. And through that, we, we, we grow and become all that, uh, God has created us to be. And so that threefold process is what's needed in order to break down this racial caste system. It's going to have to be dealing with the laws that dole out to uh, systems of justice. When you look at uh, the books uh, Just Mercy by Brian uh, Stevenson and The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and uh, even seeing uh, a book called Stuck in Place that, that, that measures uh, minority poverty versus uh, non-minority uh, poverty. Uh, and seeing how it's generational and, and breaking down those laws that still uphold that. And then in our relationships, breaking down the stigma that keeps us uh, in this caste system and and uh, uh, unsubscribing from the patterns of this world of and the patterns of this country of white supremacy and, and signing that uh, Emancipation Proclamation for ourselves that uh, Dr. King talked about that restores the dignity in, in, in each person. And then it takes the work of, of, uh, the Holy Spirit to transform our minds once we've stopped conforming. And so these are things that we can do. And I know it's, it's, it's been a long episode. And so we're going to come to a close here and we're going to continue to unpack what it means to, uh, deconstruct the laws, what it means to deconstruct, uh, relational, uh, uh, stigma and, 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 what what it means to 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 appreciate versus assimilate but this is episode number three the divisive origins of whiteness uh, examining america's racial caste system and so i encourage all of you to look internally and decide that this is not going to be something that i describe either uh describe myself as or will place view other people through this lens and so, you know, it's a lot. Thank you guys for, for, for tuning in, but stay tuned. Uh, again, this is A Difference in Thought. I'm your host, Charlie Ray. This has been Episode 3, The Divisive Origins of Whiteness. As always, as we end, you know, I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. All right. Peace. Stay tuned. And, of course, if you guys have questions after this, I know we went through a lot. You can email me at adifferenceinthought at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at adifferenthought, A-D-I-F-F-I-N-T-H-O-U-G-H-T. You can comment on SoundCloud. And I will ask if you guys have been enjoying this, you know, please rate and review on iTunes so that other people can kind of know what we're building here. And, uh, you know, it's all love as always. And so, again, signing out officially. Charlie Ray with a difference in thought. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.